Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Thank you for joining us for episode 92 of the Naturally Nourished podcast. Today's topic is on DHEA, an often underrecognized adrenal hormone that has metabolic and aging effects and can be the limiting agent of why your body doesn't make ketones. So tune in. Today is going to be an awesome episode, and we have a special guest, a repeat guest, Stephen Chernisky. We first met him uh, virtually over conversation on CBD or cannabidiol in episode 73, and he was super knowledgeable. Becky and I both really enjoyed the conversation, and we're pumped to have him back. Yes, I think that was definitely one of our most popular episodes to date. So I'm really excited to have Stephen on today to talk about DHEA. Let's get right into his bio so we can welcome him and get on into it. Stephen Chernisky has been a university instructor in clinical nutrition, served on the faculty of the American College of Sports Medicine, and directed the nation's first federally licensed clinical laboratory specializing in nutrition and immunology. Stephen's ability to translate technical scientific data into apple and orange language is extremely valuable for anyone trying to separate the facts from the fads. He's a patent holder in the field of biotechnology and is considered the primary architect of the metabolic model of aging. He's the author of The DHEA Breakthrough in 1996, expanded upon in the metabolic plan in 2003, and further examined in the metabolic makeover in 2014. So welcome, and thank you, Stephen, for taking the time to be with us yet again today on another subject that you are really a biochemical master on. We so enjoyed having you on episode 73 to learn about the bioactive compounds in CBD and how it can reduce inflammation, pain, and promote neurogenesis or regrowth in the brain, supporting the whole body. And we are pumped to have you on to talk about DHEA and its metabolic anti-aging effects. Wonderful. Glad to be here. It's my favorite topic. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Yes. When I emailed you after we had recorded a couple months back and you'd pitched DHEA, I'm quoting from the email because I think this was a cool quote. You said, um, I said, you know, what do you think we would cover? What do you think we would talk about? And you said, the metabolic model of aging, the seesaw of damage and repair that determines quality of life and to a great extent, how long we live. DHEA plays a critical role because it is the most comprehensive repair signal in the entire body and brain. Which is which is true, and with <laughs> me, which is which is why it's it's my favorite molecule, and and why I am so frustrated uh, that that uh, it is so that's talked about so little in conventional medicine. Uh, I, I literally talk to physicians uh, uh, on a regular basis who don't know even what it is. 
Because well, as I always advise people, have your DHA sulfate level tested so you know how much of this incredibly important hormone your body's producing. And they go to their doctor and their doctor says, why do you want to know that? Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I hope that we do your favorite molecules some justice today. And as we dig deeper into today's topic on DHA, this is one that Allie really has emphasized its function when talking about adrenal fatigue. HPA access imbalance, um, as well as its necessity for ketone production. But today, we really want to teach our listeners more about your base in why DHEA can be the fountain of youth. So I think it's important to start off with what exactly DHEA is, where and how it's produced, and under what conditions it's stimulated or repressed. I know that's a loaded question. <laughs> they always are. <laughs> It's a great question and, and phrased perfectly because, number one, it dehydroepiandrosterone, uh, or if you're, if you're British, dehydroepiandrosterone, one, one way or the other, I don't care how you say it, but DHEA is a hormone produced, uh, originally it was thought it was produced only by the adrenal glands, and certainly the, the most DHEA is produced by the adrenal glands. Uh, and then after, two years after I wrote the DHA breakthrough in 1996, so in 1998, uh, it was discovered that DHA is synthesized in the brain. It doesn't go from the, you know, from, from the adrenals and then circulates into the brain. The brain actually makes DHA. Uh, and that was critically important because it was the first neurosteroid that had ever been discovered. So here's a, here's a hormone produced by the brain in the huge question at that point was, what's it doing up there? And the answer is, it is responsible, listen to this, it's responsible for the, for the activation of neuronal stem cells. Wow. So, you think it's important? <laughs> <laughs> and, and of course, then people started looking at it, well, I wonder, I wonder, uh, I wonder we should start doing some autopsies on, on people, you know, who die of Alzheimer's and compare the DHA level in their brain to, to an age-matched controls. And what do you know? the Alzheimer patients had less than half of the DHEA in their brain compared to someone the same age who died and who didn't have Alzheimer's. So that really should have lit up, it should have lit up the, the, the research around DHEA uh, and it didn't, and we'll, we'll get to why it didn't in, in a little bit. The main yeah. thing is, to answer your question, is, is it is responsible for triggering or activating repair throughout the body and brain. The more we learn about stem cells, the more important DHA becomes. Awesome, and did you say, Stephen, that so both it, so still predominant production is in the adrenals, but it targets the brain and also is produced in the brain tissue, is that correct? Here's how important it is for your brain. Your brain synthesizes DHA. Uh, it, it makes it right, mm -hmm. and it, and and none of that goes into circulation. Whereas if your brain wants DHEA, it can take it out of circulation, but it's a one-way street. Your brain your brain will not share DHEA with the rest of your body. Wow. But, but it will take DHEA when it needs it. So all you need to do, right? Because no one's going to inject DHEA into their own brainstem. But you can, you can maintain optimal levels of DHEA in your blood by eating it, right? Sure. And then, and then knowing that when your brain needs it, it'll be available. And so let's talk about 
what stimulates production and what represses production and, and how that's connected with maybe stress or the adrenal glands? Well, there's two things that cause DHA to decline. Um, and, and one is aging. Um, and, and two, of course, is stress. Because DHA is synthesized in the zona reticularis of the, of the adrenal gland. Your adrenals are not that big. They're about as big as a walnut sitting on top of your kidneys. And, and in, in one zone, one central zone of the adrenals, um, you produce uh, not only DHEA, but also cortisol, which is the, the primary and most enduring stress hormone. So if you're under an enormous amount of stress, your adrenals cannot make both enormous amounts of cortisol and sufficient DHEA. So chronic stress causes DHEA to, to plummet. So does, so does um, injury. Uh, okay. so, so it's important for people to understand that after any injury, a car accident, a, a, a bad fall, a fracture, um, your DHA levels will fall simply because the, the recruitment of stem cells for the repair uh, is just soaking up DHEA. And also, obviously, surgery and injury um, is incredibly stressful. So, sure. so after, Ill, after illness or injury or, or surgery, uh, DHEA becomes critically important. And this is another thing which is completely ignored by conventional medicine. It's bizarre. Absolutely. So crazy. Yeah. Um, let's talk about what symptoms of both ends of the spectrum would be in terms of low DHEA or too high of DHEA. Um, and let's also talk about the impact of supplementation potentially in this question too. Okay. Well, the, the symptoms of, of, of too high are, are really easy to notice. All right? you, you, you can't ignore, if you're, if you're taking too much DHEA or in the rare case where you're making too much DHEA. Um, a, a woman will get masculinizing symptoms and a man will get feminizing symptoms. So for a woman who is taking or making too much DHEA, uh, she'll start to see some, some hair on her upper lip. Um, if she ignores that, she'll start to get some acne. If she ignores that, uh, her voice will start to get deeper. If she ignores that, she'll, be, she'll join the Teamsters. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> or become a truck driver. I mean, <laughs> there's obvious symptoms, right? So, it, so when people are constantly worried about, oh, women are going to have, you know, masculinizing symptoms, it can, you'd have to be, you'd have to be incredibly unconscious to ignore yeah. the, the symptoms that come from too much DHEA, all the way from, you know, oily skin to acne to facial hair to deepening voice. You get the picture. If a man takes too much what happens is he gets sore nipples, right? So again, that's very difficult to ignore. Mm -hmm. you know? and, and the only people who have that experience are, the, are the, you know, the, the guy, the gym rats, who are just looking for the latest thing to make their muscles abnormally large. And, and so you get some gym rat who's taking 500 milligrams of DHA a day. He's not going <laughs> to have bigger muscles. He's going to have bigger boobs. Okay. <laughs> And how about on the other end of the spectrum, Stephen? What are some of the symptoms of low? Oh, uh, just look around. <laughs> brain, brain fog, obviously cognitive decline, which you kind of alluded to with Alzheimer's trends, right? Yep. 
cognitive decline, uh, a loss of muscle, an inability to gain muscle. Don't forget, the men and women who go, who look in the mirror on their 40th birthday um, and say to themselves, gee, I better get back in shape. That man or woman who goes to the gym and works out uh, and, and works out the same way they did when they were 20, but when they were 20, <laughs> they, they, they could see a difference like in a week or two. Right when they're forty, they they put in the time, they put in the effort, the energy. They look in the mirror, they don't see any difference at all, and they and so what happens? They give up, or the, or they do something stupid, like they go back to the gym and, and work out with heavier weights, right? And they hurt themselves. So so the inability to gain and maintain muscle um, is is probably as 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 noticeable as the brain fog and the cognitive decline. Also mood, DHEA, because energy and mood are, are two sides of the same coin, DHA has been found in human clinical trials to improve mood. Um, and, and, and the study that, I'm, that I remember the most um, used a, a term which was a new term for me at, at the time when I read it, which was dysthmia. It's hard to say, but it basically means the blahs, right? So it was a study done, you know, on women who just had, you know, they, they weren't terribly depressed, but they just did, did anhedonia is another word, right? Which they, they didn't, they weren't able to experience joy, right? And they gave them DHEA, and guess what? They got much better and, and rapidly got much better. But again, I'm going to say this, right? When you go to your conventional doctor and you have the blahs, they're not going to give you DHEA. No. <laughs> they would rather give you Paxil or, 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 or Prozac. Yeah. And then you're playing whack-a-mole with the other symptoms and side effects that the DHEA would have resolved. <laughs> so you, you block one yeah. symptom and deal with the other world. Yeah. And going back... My, my, my wife is a, a board-certified family practice doctor here in Olympia. And, and when patients come in asking her for an antidepressant, the first thing she says to them is, you don't need an antidepressant, you need a projoint. I love that. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I love that. Uh, let's go, before we talk into assessment and, and what have you, I, I want to touch on a little bit of, as you mentioned, the highs, and we often do see that clinically with PCOS with women, um, an elevation of DHEA, and often that's one of the benefits that we see with using the ketogenic diet because it can help to metabolize down that DHEA, helps with that insulin resistance, and then we'll, we'll usually watch and manage their vitamin D. We tend to see that as a trend, kind of more prone towards insulin resistance when DHEA is up, and then also getting, yes, like you mentioned, some of that hirsutism or, or, or uh, facial hair growth or uh, shorter fuse irritability. Um, is that a, a tool that makes sense to you uh, using DHEA as an intermediary and metabolizing that down with the use of a ketogenic diet? I think that's brilliant. Um, and and, the, and the, the research on ketogenic diet with PCOS is, is I'm happy to say, is, is, is increasing. Don't forget methane um, as, as a way of, of mm -hmm. helping ameliorate uh, the, the hyperandrogenic symptoms of PCOS. Uh, DIM, methane can be used up to 300 milligrams a day in those patients. And even if they have estrogen levels, I guess I always think of DIM for helping to metabolize estrogen, but, but even if their estrogen level is suboptimal or low, DIM you think would still be appropriate? Yeah, I still do, yep. Okay, interesting. Cool. 
Awesome. I haven't heard that before, so we'll, we'll make note of that. Mm -hmm. um, let's talk a little bit about assessment of DHEA values. I know you talked about DHEA sulfates. Let's talk about DHEA sulfate versus just plain old DHEA. What's the variance in terms of blood? And then I want to talk about saliva and dried urine versus blood. So starting with the DHEAS versus DHEA. Well, to measure DHEA, uh, the free molecule, it doesn't make sense to me because, because it, it fluctuates during the day. So you're not going to get any really worthwhile uh, information uh, unless you're in the hospital setting and they're and they're trying to they're trying to stabilize you for for some adrenal disease. For for the average person, they just want to know what is my DHEA status, you know, and so you want to measure this the storage form, which is the DHEA sulfate. So, so you, when, you, when you go to your clinician and you're having a needle stuck in your arm, you, you inform them. You don't ask them. You inform them that you want to include DHEA sulfate as part of your blood chemistry, and they just tick it off on, your, on, on the request form that goes to the lab. Uh, you know, so, so you ask for a DHEA sulfate. Now, the, I've not done a, a, a correlation study recently. Uh, but about 10 years ago, uh, when, when I was in a, in, a, in a situation where I was trying to find out the least expensive way to measure DHEIS, uh, we did a correlation study, and, and the saliva did not correlate well with, uh, with blood. So for that reason, I still think that DHA sulfate from, from a blood test is going to give you the best and most consistent results. That was 10 years ago, so that the, the, the saliva test technology may have improved uh, since then. Uh, I, I'm certainly willing to, to look at a correlation study, but the gold standard still is the DHEIS for blood. I'm, I'm not familiar with, uh, with, with uh, I, I would, uh, what, the urine spot or, or a dried blood spot? Which one were you referring to? You're, like the Dutch panel, they do the dried urinary metabolites. I, yeah, I'm not familiar with that, so I can't. Okay. Um, would love to see a correlation study of the three, actually. Sure, and and I have seen we so we do run a lot of when we're looking at cortisol, we do a four point quadrant. So you know, looking at rise, midday, early evening, and then before bed, and we look at DHEA along with sexual hormones in the saliva, and then our weight loss basic and our weight loss plus blood panels both include. DHEAS in the blood. Um, so I've looked at at least over 30 different samples of people where it tends to trend and, and correlate. I've never seen inconsistencies as far as uh, someone being clinically low in one world and not the other. Um, good, but good to know, good to know. And, and thank you for doing all three. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're covering your bases in a, in a, in a, in a, a congratulations and, and bravo. Oh, well, thank you. Um, how about ranges, though? Um, are, are you more aggressive as far as the range for DHEAS? Uh, do you feel like there's a safer upper range than the, the current reference range? Or uh, is, is the lower end suboptimal? Well, you know, thanks for thanks for bringing this up because this is important for your listeners to know that the ref because I don't know if your listeners all know what a reference range is. Right. <laughs> a reference range is simply the 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 number of of 
you know, milligrams or micrograms per deciliter that, has, that is seen in a reference population uh, of that age. For example, I just turned 70. The reference range for a 70-year-old is zero to 280. <laughs> Now, since this is the most, the most comprehensive repair signal in the entire body and brain, can you, and I've said this to doctors, and they just look at me like, they're like, what are you talking about? I say, how is it possible that someone could have zero detectable DHEA and still be normal? Right. And someone else could have 230 times that amount and still be normal. You see how crazy this is. So you have to disregard the reference range. Now what you have to do is say, is there research to, 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 to help us know what is the optimal range? And that is known. And that is known for a man to be between 350 and 450, and for a woman between 250 and 350. Okay. Right? And, and again, you know, I'm not pulling these numbers out of the, out of the air. This has been the, the result of really pioneering work that was done at the University of San Diego, uh, uh, up in Montreal at, La, at uh, Laval University with uh, Etienne Ballier over at the Institut Pasteur in Paris. I mean, we've all been trying to find out what is the ideal and, and what happens when it gets much higher than 450. I keep mine at, at 500 micrograms per deciliter. And I have since I turned, you know, 39. So uh, I'm the oldest scientist in the U.S. who's been consistently supplementing for more than 30 years uh, at a dose of which would be a good dose or a good amount for a 30-year-old. So, so I like to say that when people say, wow, you don't look like you're 70, or when my neurologist who does my brain scan was, was so surprised, he ran to his grand rounds that month, put my brain scan on the screen and asked his colleagues, how old do you think this subject is? And they all, they all guessed someone in their 20s. Amazing. <laughs> That's why we bring you on here. <laughs> Make us feel like we're in our twenties again, Stephen. <laughs> you know, we if if aging is the is the issue, and it really is, right? I mean, all everything else that we suffer is just a consequence of aging for the most part. And if that's true, if you agree with that, then then you have to look at ant reliable anti-aging therapies. And, and maintaining ideal DHEA has to be in, in the top three items of, along with main, you know, maintaining ideal weight and, and, and eating a highly varied natural foods diet. Sure. And I know if we're talking about supplementation and the safety of it, let's, let's go into, I think, some of, I don't know if it's fear-mongering or just displaced, uh, I don't know, information, but let's talk about its role as a metabolite, a hormonal metabolite. And, and maybe if, if you feel there's so much emphasis on brain and stem cell activity, maybe that's limited, but I know it being a precursor to estrogen and testosterone, there's a lot of conservative approaches as far as concern with estrogen-related cancers or uh, driving imbalance or dominance of, of one hormone or another. Can you dig a little bit into that? And Yeah, I think, I think what we have to understand is that 
we're, we're still in the, in relating, relating to um, hormonal driven cancers, we're still in the, the dark ages um, because testosterone obviously does not cause, uh, you know, prostate cancer. If it did, all 18 year olds would have prostate cancer. Yes. Um, and, and estrogen doesn't cause um, <laughs> breast cancer for the same reason. But so, so right now we're in a, we're in a place where, and when I say we, I mean the scientific medical community, we're in a place where the, the conventional treatment for breast cancer is to just, you know, block all, all, all forms of, of estrogen. And the conventional treatment of prostate cancer is to, is testosterone blockade. You see, so you block the production of these sex hormones in order to either prevent a recurrence or to slow down the growth of, of, of the tumor. And, and no one's going to disagree with that because that's where we are right now. You right. know, soon I hope we'll have a much better approach because both of those approaches have adverse side effects, which are serious, right? Mm -hmm. But, but someday we won't be doing this, but right now we are doing it. So, so if a person has had prostate cancer and they are on testosterone blockade, well, you can't give them DHEA because that's contrary to the strategy of their physician. Right. The same way, a woman who has had breast cancer, estrogen, you know, positive breast cancer, and she, she's on, you know, tamoxifen or another anti-estrogen, you can't give her DHEA because again, it's contrary to the strategy of their, of their physician. And I never advise people to disregard their physicians. At the same time, there is no evidence to show that DHEA will increase a woman's risk for breast cancer. And there is no evidence that, that DHEA will increase a man's risk for prostate cancer, period. So at least we can, we can disregard that as fear-mongering. Okay. And do you feel that a practitioner that is prescribing or using DHEA, and I want to talk about dosages and forms in a moment, but if a, if a practitioner is using it, do you feel that it would be clinically necessary that they should, though, monitor all three forms of estrogen in a woman and to, to assess for dominance or transition in estrogen metabolism as well as testosterone, uh, you know, like at a, every six-month interval or... Absolutely, I do. I mean, and and, for, and since you have a panel, uh, which which is which is comprehensive, and and I would imagine you know not terribly expensive, that's exactly the way to do it. That's exactly the way to do it. Uh, for people who are not you know clients of yours, um, you know we send people to Life Extension. They've got a fabulous, a fabulous panel, um, and it and you know. <laughs> it regularly goes on sale for like some under a hundred dollars. You get the entire panel. Wow. So, you know, it's, it's we're talking about people um, either, either using a, a, a clinician such as yourself okay. or, or people who are, you know, not able to find someone like you or my wife who can, who can, you know, take responsibility for monitoring these things. But I think, I think, you know, if you stay within a low dose, uh, the the need for monitoring is just like annual. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because I have many physicians, especially surgeon physician clients, uh, that are just under astronomical stress levels. And so we may have them on a glandular support for adrenals as well as adaptogens and, and maybe also DHEA. 
Uh, and um, I've had a couple of them ask me that as far as concern and often I'll say, well, truly, if anything, I'm, I'm more concerned about your conjugated synthetic estrogen birth control that you're taking as being a <laughs> concern for breast cancer than this, you know, trifecta that we're addressing and managing and monitoring. Um, but it's just interesting. You know, I think that there's some, some of that read out there about DHEA as driving estrogen. And so I think as long as monitored, I'm in the same school thought of, uh, I've, I've, seen mo I've seen favorable outcomes uh, throughout the board and, and you can adjust as needed. Yep, absolutely. Awesome. Let's talk about forms of supplementation of DHEA, what you recommend in terms of form and also what dosage you would start someone out on, Stephen. Well, the, the, my motto is, you know, start low and go slow. Um, and, and that pretty much applies to everything. Um, and, and with DHEA, um, if, you're, if you're a man, you know, over age 40, especially if you're a man over age 50, I mean, you, you can start with 25 milligrams. And, and, and really, I've, I've never seen any man um, who, who had any adverse reaction or effect from 25 milligrams. Um, it, it, it's probably useful if you want to go higher because the most common dose in research is 50 milligrams. That's the most common research dose. Um, and, uh, and so I would break that into, into two parts. I would have 25 milligrams upon arising and 25 milligrams before bed um, and see how that goes. But again, you don't start with 50. You start with 25. Uh, with a woman, uh, it probably would be useful to start with 10. Um, and, and again, she might not see any improvement at 10 milligrams, but she'll, she'll be able to titrate up to, from 10 to 20, 30, or 40 or more. Keep in mind that a two-year study published in the New England Journal of Medicine, um, the, it, which was done at Mayo, they designed the study in order to, to evaluate adverse side effects. That's all the study was going to do is, is evaluate adverse side effects. So they gave, they gave women a 50 milligram dose, which is a, which is a high dose. It's the very top of the physiologic range. They gave men 75 milligrams, which is supraphysiologic dose. And they were trying to do what? They were trying to see at these high doses, what kind of side effects would they see? Hundreds of subjects over two years, and they found, listen to this, nothing to be concerned <laughs> about. They found nothing to be concerned about. They, with the men, they did DREs, they did ultrasound, they did PSA tests, and they found nothing adverse, adversely affecting the prostate. In women, they, they did biopsies and they found there was no hyperproliferation in their uterus or their breast, and they concluded what? Did they conclude that, that high-dose DHA is safe? No. <laughs> Instead, because they can't do that, you see. They're, they're way too conservative. What they did was they published the study and basically said, DHA doesn't work. It doesn't, it, <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't do anything. <laughs> it doesn't do anything. Doesn't increase, didn't, it didn't increase their muscle mass. It didn't increase their bone density. And the study wasn't designed to do that. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I could see that'd be frustrating. And and if you're talking about the dosage, are you always talking about uh, the fact that the DHEA itself would be micronized as far as a good quality supplement or anything else in particular that people should look for? No, I, I 
I was concerned early on when when Prasterone, which is the the way that DHEA is sold and has been sold in Europe for 35 years, uh, when Prasterone, the makers of Prasterone, uh, which is again in Europe is a is a prescription drug, when they switched to synthetic uh, DHEA about uh, 10 years ago. Um, I, I got a hold of some and, and did a, I was concerned, hey, synthetic, you know, maybe it doesn't do what natural DHA does that's derived from the Mexican yam. So I, I got a hold of Prasterone and, and looked at it inside out, upside down, backwards and forward, HPLC. We did scans uh, with, with, <laughs> with, with uh, a, a number of scans to see if it behaved and looked and, and it was analyzed the same as the material that we were using from the Mexican yam, and it was. So I'm not concerned about synthetic DHA. I think micronized, uh, it, you're gonna get a little bit better transport, but DHA is readily absorbed um, even if it's not micronized. But since micronized is available, um, that's what I'm using right now, and 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 that's again, it's it's easy to obtain. Uh, there are a number of good brands out there: uh, MRM, uh, Life Extension, uh, who else? Natrol makes a good one. But right now, we are using in our in our in our formulations, uh, we're using a micronized DHA from the Mexican yam, just because it's available. And what dosage, I'm curious, that you're keeping yourself in the 500s, uh, are, are you taking? Oh, I've been taking uh, 50 milligrams for the last uh, 32 years. And in 225s or? 225s, 25 before bed and 25 uh, when I wake up. Okay. And so you don't find, although it can have some stimulating influence, um, doesn't interfere with quality of sleep. I guess I've never heard of it being used in the evening, so I for whatever reason, but, but it's more, it's more chronic long-term, so it wouldn't Im impact sleep. No, not, it, not for me, nor have I found that it, it, it disturbed the sleep of, of, you know, I mean, we, I've talked to thousands of people over the years. Okay. <laughs> and it is, it, I mean, it's not, it's not impossible that it would interfere with sleep, but it's not known to, it's not a stimulant in that regard. Okay. And did you say kind of in the beginning, I'm curious to dig a little deeper into the, the cortisol DHEA connection. Um, you had mentioned that in a state of, you know, chronic inflammation, when, when the body has to kind of upregulate its cortisol, that is that correct that you said that's where you would see DHEA being suppressed or if the adrenal cortex is putting out or fatigued from production of cortisol, then it may residually swing to DHEA, or can, can we go a little deeper into that connection and maybe also on uh, this concept of pregnenolone steel, is, is pregnenolone the steroid we'd wanna go for if we're getting suppression across the board in our cholesterol, our cortisol, our DHEA, and sexual hormones, or would you still strategically use DHEA as well? Um, you, you're hitting all the nails on the head. <laughs> I always ask seven questions in one. <laughs> if, if, if you see uh, that there is a that there is low cortisol as well as you know, so true adrenal exhaustion, where the adrenals are just not able to even produce enough mineral corticoids, um, then then yeah, pregnenolone would be in addition to the DHA. I think would be a, a a good way to go. The problem of using pregnenolone all by itself uh, is the you, you you don't know the conversion to to cortisol versus DHA. It, it varies significantly. 
Um, so, so I would, I would, I, th I think pregnenolone is valuable um, it, it, for someone with complete exhaustion of the adrenals, in other words, low cortisol and low DHA. Uh, but I would still use some DHA just because pregnenolone's conversion to DHA varies so widely, and it's and it's kind of unpredictable. Um, in regards to the 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 whole issue. I'm, I'm of the belief that, that the age-related decline um, in, in DHEA, as well as the age-related you know, problem with adrenals, is because of a, a circulation issue. It's, it's, a, it's a natural extension from the atherosclerotic process. Hmm. If you look at the anatomy of the adrenals, I mean, we, we are constantly looking at atherosclerosis and its effects on the brain and the heart. Why? Because when you have a blockage of blood vessels in one of those areas, you die. All right? But we have to also look at, at, at other areas of the body. And, and modern science and medicine is not really good at doing that. But if you look at the vasculature of the adrenals, it's terrible. Um, and, and these convoluted blood vessels that are so easily blocked by even the, a modest of, amount of plaque. I, it could very well be that the age-related decline in DHEA um, is related to atherosclerosis. Huh, I've never, I've never thought of that connection. Oh, no, interesting. Yes. <laughs> well, maybe, oh it, 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 could, it could also be, obviously, that there, that there is some program that's running um, and that we're unaware of in which nature is just trying to get us off the planet. I mean, that's... <laughs> <laughs> and I, I mean, I'm sure the fact of our, our fight or flight mode being on and, uh, you know, EFM and blue light, all of the things that are very depleting, <laughs> the body has maybe not evolved to withstand for sure. No, any, think of DHA not only as the repair signal, right, but think of DHA as the resilience factor. Uh, if, in work that was done uh, by uh, the Navy SEALs, there was a test that they used, uh, and I don't know if they still do, but it was pretty rigorous. They would tie your hands and your feet together, throw you in a swimming pool, um, and tell you that somewhere in that pool there was a hose with oxygen. Um, and you had to find that that hose before you you know either you know they, before they had to pluck you out. I mean they didn't let candidates die and drown, right? But but if they had to pluck you out of the water, you failed the test and you didn't become a seal. Um, and and so there was it was a bunch of researchers who were kind of curious to figure out what is the difference between the 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 the, the soldier who actually you know stayed calm. Uh, and, and found the the oxygen and passed the test versus the 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 soldier who failed the test and had to be plucked out of the water before he drowned. Well, lo and behold, the the, the athletes, who, I mean the soldiers who passed, had much higher levels of DHEA compared to the soldiers who failed. What does that tell you? It tells you that DHA is a resilience. It, it, it helps you to deal with stress as well as recover from stress. That's so cool. And that's usually how we think of things like adaptogens and some of the other supplements that we use in recovering from adrenal fatigue. So I think that brings it all together for me at least and, and uh, opens up a whole world of possibility into 
more DHEA supplementation. Uh, so let's get controversial for a second. And um, your book, Stephen, The DHEA Breakthrough, it's an international bestseller and uh, features you know, more than 9,000 studies on DHEA that have been published since 1996. But yet, in your words, this incredibly important piece of the health and wellness puzzle receives scat attention in conventional medicine. Why is this? Why aren't we talking about it? Uh, because it's not a drug. You know, if it, if it was a drug, uh, everyone over 50 would be on it. Uh, if it was a drug, it would be, you know, talked about it at every single you know, conference on endocrinology and aging. Um, and, but because it's not a drug, because you can buy it at the health food store or, 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 or go online and have it sent to your door, uh, it, it, because of that. And, and I'm convinced that, that it's a conspiracy of silence that is just, it's just so powerful that, that I can go to conferences today um, and, and talk about DHA and have people tell me that, that tell me things that have been proven to be untrue, such as that, that it increases risk for breast cancer or increases risk for prostate cancer. That has been proven to be not true, and yet people still say it. Why do they say it? Because there's no education. We're talking about physicians who should be educated into how to how to tip the aging seesaw in, in, in the favor of their parents, uh, pa patients, but they would rather take out their prescription pad because that's the way they've been trained, that's all they know, and that, listen to me, that's all they wanna know. Why? Because everyone today is so freaking busy. Everyone is so busy and, and, and is so frazzled and distracted that we, we find it difficult to learn new things. This is, believe it or not, this is a new thing for most physicians. This is, this is new information, right? Even though for you and I, it's like 40 years old. And, and that goes into the same concept of bioidentical versus synthetics. If, if you can't patent it, if it's, if it's made naturally and you cannot slap a patent on it, then there's not going to be a lot of funding or of course there won't be FDA approval. And that means it doesn't get packaged in that nice little pack that lands on the physician's desk and tells them how to prescribe and practice. Uh, so I think that has a huge, huge influence. And there are drugs being developed. There's that uh, DHEA Femera blend. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I mean, I have clients that are on HCG injections and HGH and, and you name it. Um, but really clinically, I can still see those patients having suboptimal levels and bringing in a quality DHEA supplement actually can resolve, of course, working with stress, working with optimizing diet, reducing inflammation, but really resolve some of the issues that they've been using medication for five, 10 years for. Um, and, and I think that it's so important to give it the, the time and energy to, to devote the, the spotlight that it so deserves. You're exactly right, and and I, I'm I'm uh, I'm about ready because you know after the at, on the 20th anniversary of the DHA um, breakthrough, which was like two years ago, um, uh, Random House uh, called me and said, you know, do you, would you like to would you like to do a uh, an update? And I said, well, what do you have in mind? Because Random House made a lot of money on DHA breakthrough, you can imagine they'd like to reprise that in some way. 
Um, and so they said, well, you know, you were interviewed on, on, on 60 Minutes by Bob Bazell, um, and, and he kind of raked you over the coals in that interview on 60 Minutes. Why don't we, why don't we call um, NBC and see if they want to, you know, do a, re uh, you know, a rerun, a kind of an update to see who was right. And uh, I laughed. And I said, I would do that in a heartbeat. I would do that in a heartbeat. But I said, you're not going to get NBC to go for that. And Bob Bazell would never want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> everything I said has come to pass. And nothing that he said has actually happened. <laughs> <right>? Interesting. <laughs> so so that, that didn't happen. But now I'm, I'm in talks with Vanity Fair um, because they want to do an article. Because, you know, at the time when I was writing the book, Vanity Fair, Gail Sheehy um, published a great article on DHEA um, in Vanity Fair. So, so I'm, I'm talking with them now about a reprise so we can probably, you know, bring everybody up to date. What has happened yeah. in 1996? Yeah. Who is right? Who is wrong? Were the naysayers right? Was there a, was there a dramatic increase in, in liver problems in people who were using DHEA? No, <laughs> that didn't happen. Was there an enormous increase, you know, in any other adverse effect? No, that didn't happen. Did the people taking DHEA increase, improve their, 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 their health and, and how they look, feel, and perform? Yes. Yeah, that happened. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, awesome. Uh, and and how about as far as just as kind of a before we give resources of how listeners can learn more about you so they can stay on top of the, the cutting edge movements of things. Uh, what in synergy, Stephen, do you recommend? So you know, one thing is of course monitoring your levels and getting them into an optimized range, not just a reference range and dosing between 10 upwards of 50 milligrams of DHEA. Are there other things that you've seen tying into the, the vascular elements or, you know, Becky had mentioned adaptogens. Are there any things that you would recommend in synergy to really get optimized function um, or influence of, of DHEA? And, and I want to note really quick, just for listeners, because I hear it all the time with patients, DHEA is very different than an EPA DHA omega-3 fatty acid. <laughs> I'm just going to say that a lot of people are like, oh, I'm taking DHEA. And I'm like, well, you're taking DHA. Uh, so, so back to the question, Stephen, anything that you would use in synergy um, or that you feel, you know, beyond taking your milligrams of DHEA, what else would optimize those benefits? Well, we are, we're, um, we're, coming out in September 1st with a DHEA complex for women and a DHEA complex for men. And we're simply combining it with uh, diendolymethane, DIM, and alpha-lipoic acid. Okay. So alpha-lipoic acid is, is definitely a synergy. So is resveratrol. In fact, if you look at the metabolic modifiers um, in, in the book that my wife and I wrote, uh, the, the Metabolic Makeover, we list DHA as the, as the, the, the king of the metabolic modifiers and, and resveratrol being the queen, if you will. The, the two of them are so synergistic and, and so um, important uh, as we get into this thing called anti-aging that that's a fabulous combination. We didn't put resveratrol into the DHEA uh, capsule because I still maintain that resveratrol needs to be uh, protected better uh, in, an, in an oil matrix. So we'll use a, a resveratrol in a, in a soft gel. Okay. Uh, but DHEA is fine in a two-piece hard shell capsule and combined with, uh, with uh, 
alpha lipoic acid and, and uh, DIM, I think you'll find it'll be a useful, uh, a useful supplement. Uh, we are also using uh, DHA, micronized DHA in an anti-aging skin product that I think, you know, we don't have a lot of time left to talk about the skin issue, but aging skin um, is something that I've been studying for a while. And, and if, you, if you look at my face uh, compared to other 70-year-olds, um, you'll see a remarkable difference um, in terms of lines, wrinkles, uh, skin coloration. And the reason is that I've been using DHA topically uh, for about 10 years. And so our, our, our formula there uh, simply takes a combination of DHA aloe, which is a nice delivery mechanism when you're talking about a topical. So the combination of aloe as a delivery agent, uh, DHEA, and also CBD, which has the anti-inflammatory benefits, uh, it's a pretty interesting combination. I'd love to send you guys some to so you can give it a try. Absolutely. <laughs> we, we love samples. <laughs> Just so many different applications beyond, you know, the way we typically think about DHEA. So cool. Um, I wanted to ask before we close, you mentioned resveratrol. What about other food compounds or um, things we can do with diet to help to synergize a little bit further? Well, you know, the, the, we talk about a highly varied natural foods diet, and 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 I that's been my mantra for fifty years, because variety is something that people have a hard time with because we tend to eat the things that we like, we tend to eat the things that we were given when we were kids, um, and and so the average American these days uh, is eating eleven species of plants in a week in a week, 11 species of plants. Now that's pathetic and it's ruinous to your health. Why? Because the, the diet that we were designed for, which is the hunting and gathering diet, when I was fortunate to follow hunters and gatherers around the jungles of New Guinea, um, and my job was simply to catalog what they, what they ate. And I cataloged 75 species of plants that those people ate every single day. Wow. So 75 species of plants in a day. That's the diet that we're designed for. 11 species of plants in a week with the primary fruit being bananas and the primary vegetable being potatoes. It's hard to understand how we're not all just falling off and falling over sure. in the streets. It, sh it shows you how incredibly adaptable humans are in terms of staying above ground, but to really have a, a, an, an extraordinary life, you need to eat an extraordinary amount of plants and plant foods. So that's, critically important that we get that. At the same time, I think it's important that we also mention exercise, that we are designed, the human body is designed to move. Yes. When you don't move, really bad things happen. <laughs> sure. Motion is lotion, yes. <laughs> Ooh, I'm going to use that. I love that. <laughs> Awesome. This is also great. Um, thank you again for joining us. We will put a bunch of information in the show notes, including links to 
your website, thehealthyskeptics.com, themetabolicmakeover.com. And uh, real brief before you let me go, uh, tell me, before we let you go, tell me about the My2048 site. I think that was a new one we didn't have in last show's notes for you. That is new. And, and, and the idea for that came from uh, me when I went to my, high, my 50th high school reunion a couple of years ago. Um, and, and so we were, you know, we were all born in 1948. So I started thinking about, well, you know, cause what would be a really aspirational kind of name for a, a movement? And so, you know, we talked about it a little bit and what about 2048? Because 11 million baby boomers, you know, were born in 1948. Uh, that's a lot, right? So, so we all figured, well, let's 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 start a movement called 2048. Well, then I started talking about it with other people, and it didn't matter when you were born. We're all going to be 30 years older in 19 in 2048. The question is, when you arrive at that date, what kind of body will you have? Will you have a fit, strong, healthy body, and will you have a, a sharp and creative and passionate mind? See, that's the goal. So 2040, my2048.com is very aspirational. It's, it's, it's being built and it's being built uh, as, a, as, a, as your GPS to get you to 2048 in the best possible shape that you can possibly be with the best body and the best mind. And so it's getting a lot of attention. We'll be, we'll be launching new products in September, which I think you'll find to, to be very interesting. We've got a superfood that my, my son is in charge of. He's been growing uh, really extraordinary berries, aronia berries, gumi berries, uh, and, and other berries that we're gonna be combining into a superfood mix that will not cost $79 for a tiny little canister. Awesome. <laughs> anyway, I, think, I think it's 2048 is gonna be a, a, great, a great site, which we're now building. Very cool. Very cool. Well, we'll put links to all of that. And thank you again so much for being with us today and sharing your brain for the hour with us to empower individuals to learn about this untapped fountain of youth. Well, my pleasure. Thanks so much, Alan. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.